Today's reading is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Walt. Uh, well, my name's Andrew. For those of you I don't know, I'm the campus pastor here at the Leewood campus. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm not 100% today. I'm a little under the weather. So I brought this stool up here in case I'm about to pass out. So that's why this is here. Uh, if I do pass out, um, feel free to stick around and talk or feel free to go home. <laughs> um, whatever works. Well, uh, the Jones family, my family, we uh, made it back from our... We, take, we try to take a... a, a a trip to California uh, once a year if we can. So we did that for Thanksgiving. So we made it back last week. And uh, there's really nothing like having Thanksgiving on a beach. So if you've not done that before, I, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I just, I just did that to make you feel bad. I'm sorry. So I, <laughs> though I'll be honest, so the trip, the trip didn't start off great. Um, so we flew in. And it's about a two-hour drive from the airport to where my parents live. And so we rented a car and, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but we, you know, got all packed up into the car and started it and realized we picked the one car that doesn't have a full tank of gas. That's like a quarter tank, you know, but we're already all packed in. So we decided we'll just take it. It's fine. And uh, we stop, we kind of know, stop, we're going to stop along the way to my parents' house. We stop at a gas station, take the kids to the bathroom and uh, use the credit card, get gas. And by the time we get to uh, my parents' house, we get a phone call uh, from the credit card company. And they say, did you, by any chance, buy a, like a $1,000 computer in California today? And, you know, I thought back to my day, and I thought, I don't think so. I don't think I bought a computer for $1,000. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, someone had skimmed our credit card information at the, the gas station, and they were making uh, fraudulent purchases online. So on the week of Thanksgiving, no less. And it was so depressing. So we had to cancel our credit cards, and... But the, the upside was my parents had to pay for everything while we were there. We had no way of paying. <laughs> yeah. Small miracles. But <laughs> honestly, I'm laughing now. But honestly, in the moment, it was really frustrating. It was, I, and, and I found myself um, kind of cynical with the world. It's like, why do we live in a place where we have to worry about buying gas at a gas station? And what might happen? Why do people... There's nothing like getting robbed to remind you that the world is a really broken place. And I was kind of in this, like, humbug, happy holidays kind of place. And, yeah. But uh, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, I, I kind of it restored my faith. And I, I, I got to take my son, Benjamin, uh, with my dad to go buy our, his first Christmas tree. So we went to a tree farm, and that was really cool. And, and then he and my daughter... Uh, at my parents' house, they helped decorate the whole house with all the, all the Christmas decorations. And, I, and there's something about the wonder and joy in a child's eyes in that time that can cure what ails you. And it's, it's, you know, I was looking, I was watching, it's like they really believe in a world of magic and where unbelievable things are possible. And they, they made me a believer again, if that makes sense. That's why uh, I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of year. It, it, it can make us believers again, or, or at least we can come close. 
Uh, and if any time of year can shake us out of our humdrum cynicism and our, our boredom with the world that happens when you get older, it's right now. This is the time. And, I, and if you don't believe me, just think about the traditions we have and how bizarre they are. I mean, we put uh, plastic reindeer in our yards for some reason, right? We put lights on our house, put, put a tree in our home and we decorate it. We talk about an old fat guy that invades our houses while we sleep and we... <laughs> We pull out the nativity scene and we, we talk about the clay baby God, right? That's born in a trough. So it's, and we somehow even hope, right, this year uh, it'll be better. We think like, like the Grinch. If we, if we handle Christmas just the right way, our hearts will grow two sizes bigger, a little more generous, a little more forgiving. Uh, that those relationships in our lives that are broken uh, can be restored. We believe those things. And you know, as modern people, here's why that's funny to me. As modern people, um, what modern Western people, I should probably clarify, we, and, our, and our philosophers have led the way, right? We don't believe in, or talk about in the supernatural a whole lot anymore. It's not a part of our vernacular. If you can't see it, if you can't test it, uh, then you can't know it. And why would you want to anyway? And, and philosophers, there's a technical term for that. Um, it's called philosophers, it's a closed universe, it's closed. There's nothing beyond our senses, what we can see or hear or taste or touch. There's nothing, but, so that's kind of the water we swim in, but nothing tests that conviction more than Christmas. Maybe we don't actually believe in miracles this time of year, but man, don't you want to? Even if you don't. And this old uh, dead guy named John the Apostle who we just heard read, he wants us to believe in more too. Christmas can make, can make believers of us all, and he wants to write to us about that. We just heard it read. He knew Jesus. He lived with him every second of every day for three years. He heard the sermons. He saw the miracles. He was there for all of those things. And that's why John wrote this book we call John. It's because there's something here that will change the way we see Christmas and the way we see everything. The universe itself and our very lives. And we're going to spend uh, December... Uh, going through the first chapter of, of, of John, John chapter 1, to see if he can make believers out of us again, if he, if he can crack the window in our closed universe. <laughs> That's why he wrote this book, actually. In chapter 20, he says, uh, but these are written, this is John's reason for writing, these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wants you to believe, and not just a Christmas make-believe kind of thing. He wants you to have the kind of faith that brings life. So if you haven't turned there yet, uh, turn to John uh, chapter 1. I'm going to reread the first few verses. This is how John tells the Christmas story. Okay, this is how he starts. Verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now maybe you're here, you're thinking, that is not the Christmas story. <laughs> Where, where's Mary and the animals and the angels and the wise men, the little drummer boy and the, and the Red Ryder Carbon Action 200 shot range model air rifle? Where's all that stuff? Uh, here's the reason uh, John's book is so profound, actually. It's, it's because he tells the Christmas story so differently. Uh, by the time John, you have, to, you have to know, by the time John wrote his gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were, were, were already written and were, were already quite popular. And where Matthew and Luke, those are the, that's the Christmas story most of us are, you know, that's the Hallmark card Christmas, right, is Matthew and Luke. If, uh, they focus on the, the details of Jesus' birth, you know, the poor child born in 
Bethlehem, son of a carpenter, John focuses on something else. He says, yes, those details are important and they've been written, but Jesus is so much more, don't miss this, than a baby born in a manger. So much more. And the story of Christmas does not really begin in Roman-occupied Palestine in the first century A.D. John says that the Christmas story is not merely an earthly story. It's an eternal one. It's a cosmic one. It's a universal one. It begins in the beginning with the Word of God. And John shares three ideas around the Word of God, the beginning of the Christmas story that, that, that truly changed the world forever, and it can still change the world if we listen. And I want to get to those three things in just a minute. But first, why the Word? I, it's, it's odd to us, I think. Why does John talk about the Word? Oh, he's looking, here, listen to him again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now those... Um, the few lines at the beginning, if those sound familiar to you in the beginning, it's because uh, it, it's an echo of the very first words of, of the Bible. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And then later in Genesis chapter 1, God, when God begins creating, he speaks. God said, let there be light. And there was light. So God created in the beginning. But he didn't wave a magic wand, and he didn't, he didn't think it into being. He spoke it. He spoke words. That's how he worked. And John's picking up on this. This becomes a central theme throughout the Bible. God speaks. He speaks in creation. He speaks in the burning bush. He speaks through the prophets, like Jeremiah. If you're with us, we just did a series on Jeremiah. God's word in the Old Testament is central to knowing who he is. Not unlike words for us. Can you truly know someone without speaking to them? Is that even possible? Words, they have a way of taking the most intimate parts of who we are, the internal parts, our hopes and our fears, our dreams, our ambitions, our failures, our worries, and they make them accessible to other people. That's what words do. You can't know someone without their words. And John is saying, he's, hint, he's saying, before all those other words from God, as important as they are, there was the word, the word of God. It was a living, breathing sermon. The Word of God before the beginning. And John is saying, you must know the Word to know God. You must. And this Word was a person. This Word is Jesus himself. John will make that clear as chapter 1 goes on. And this, this is shocking for us as modern people to read for the first time. It was shocking too for the ancient audience of John's book. Jew and Gentile alike. For the Jews, for someone to claim that God is revealing himself in a person, in a human being, that's blasphemy. There's no way God would debase himself like that. That's blasphemy. For the, uh, the Greeks and the Romans, too, this, this is an idiotic idea. Um, uh, John uses a word here for word, which is a little confusing. Uh, logos. It's a Greek logos. It's the word he uses uh, for the word. And this is a, a technical, philosophical term in the Greco-Roman world that he's drawing on. And it, it's, it's not a person. It's a principle, was the idea philosophers had. It's a principle by which the universe could be understood. It's not unlike uh, how uh, scientists today talk about the theory of everything. We've got to find the theory. We've got to find the theory that explains everything in the natural world. It's like that. There's a, there's a reason. There's a logos to find and for the Greco-Roman world, it was to be found by the human ingenuity, by the human mind, to grasp that principle. And Jesus says no to both. 
Neither dogma for the Jew nor deduction for the Gentile can get you to God. You have to meet him in his word. You have to know the man Jesus born on Christmas Day who lived and died and rose again 2,000 years ago, which means the first thing we're learning here is that the word you need is Jesus. The word you need is Jesus. You do not need a set of rules. Christmas is not about becoming a better person. Well, I hope, I hope we all want that. God's word is not advice to you this time of year, nor uh, is God on the other extreme. He's not a, a, a result of a list of proofs and logic. It's not who God is. Logic is important. There are logical reasons to believe in God. I'm not saying there aren't, but you can't get to God through your reason. First of all, your reason is faulty. Let's be honest. We, we draw wrong conclusions all the time. And our reason is based on assumptions. Assumptions like our senses are trustworthy, for example. Okay, they're, they're, these are limited faculties that we have. It's never enough to get to God. And this is why John is adamant that real belief is not found in the perfect argument for God. There's no such thing. Real belief can never be found in religious dogma, on the other hand, by believing really hard. That's not how you find God either. The world is full of people who believe really, really hard. And we are not closer to the truth for it. Uh, Real belief is not an airtight argument. It's an airtight person. This is John's conviction. He says, Jesus is the one you need. And if you think about it, that is the true essence of the Christian faith. It, It is faith in the person of Jesus. And you will find no person like Jesus, I promise you that. His teaching, his life, his promises, his example, they tow- it towers above the rest. I, mean, I know I'm a pastor, I'm biased, but I, I believe that. You may not believe in him, but you cannot ignore him. And John invites you here to know God, to know the truth. You must know the word, Jesus. The word you really need, more than a, a proof or an argument or, or a religious system, is an historical person that I'm writing to you about. This is John. This is why I'm writing this. You can meet him. He was in the beginning with God. That's the first thing. That the word we need is Jesus. The second thing we see, uh, and John hints at it here, he says that uh, this word, Jesus, was not only with God in the beginning, he was God. He is God. And you see that right in the second half of verse 1. And when you read this, you've got to ask yourself, how can someone be with someone and to also be that same someone. And John is, this is one of the most important passages in what Christians call the Trinity, how we understand God. Our God is one, there is no God but one, but he's also three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is with God, he's with the Father, they're not the same. They exist in relationship from the beginning, but he's, and he is God. He's not a God, he's not God-like, He's God. And I, and I, I know it's confusing. It's not intuitive. I understand that. Uh, and, and I wish we could do a whole sermon on that. We can't. Uh, but, but don't, if you're here and you're like, that, so Christians believe in truth, that's weird, or I never understood that. Don't let your question. that's okay. Don't, don't let your questions around that discourage you. If, uh, if you could easily figure God out, he probably wouldn't be God. So what my encouragement to you, if that's confusing, is to allow God to be something other than what you thought. Okay? That's, that's the, only, the, the real God is the only one worth worshiping. That's the real question. 
Not what we're comfortable with or what we can understand all the time. Is he true? Is he the real God? That, only that God is worthy of our awe. And this word that John talks about, who was God and with God, he created all things. That's verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Which another way of putting that, uh, it, it means that the word is the creator of the story of the universe. He's the author. He wrote the Rocky Mountains. He wrote the stars in the sky. He wrote the human cell. He wrote the story of God and humanity dealing with each other. He wrote all of it. He's the creator of all of it. Now, let me put that more concretely for you. He's the creator. He's the author of your story. Your story. He knows you. He knows the words about your life. He knows your hopes and your dreams and your failures and your fears. He knows you. And as John puts it, he, what, what Christmas is him writing himself into your story and mine. The Word does not stay in heaven. Look at verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we have a whole sermon on that coming up, so I'm not going to steal too much material there. But the, the Word enters the story. That's what Christmas is. This is the second thing John wants you to see he's building through here. He says, The Word you need enters your story. You need him to. You know, uh, there's a guy, maybe, maybe you've heard of him, Yuri Gagarin. He was um, a Russian cosmonaut in the 1960s. He was the first guy in space. And I believe he orbited the Earth once and, and came back. So he, when he came back from space, one of the first things he said to the press was, well, I went to space and there was no God, so he, there must not be one. Now, C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist-turned-believer, a contemporary of this time, he responded to that, and he said, look, and it's, it's profound what he says. He says, looking for God in space is like Hamlet looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his castle. This is a prof- I'm serious. It's, it's, it's like, uh, he's saying, it's like a character in a novel looking for the author in her own book. It can't be done. Unless, the only way Hamlet could know Shakespeare is for Shakespeare to write himself into the story. It's the only way. The only way a character can ever know its creator, the author himself, must write him into the story. John, John is saying Christmas is the part of the story where the author writes himself in to my story, to your story, to the human story. And John is saying everything hangs on your response to that author. Everything hangs on how you respond to him. He's the center of the story. The word you need, it doesn't wait for you to come to him. He comes to you. And why? Why does he come? Why does he come to you? Why is this necessary? And John points this out here too, to offer life. Life. Verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. The word you need offers life. That's why he came. Now, life is a really tired word in English. It's a board game, it's a magazine, and it's a breakfast cereal. <laughs> right? um, what does it mean in John? Why does he use this word? Um, he isn't just talking about, oftentimes we come to a word like that in, in, the, in, in the Bible and we think that means never-ending life. He means never-ending life, and that's part of what he means. It's not all of what he means. He doesn't just mean never-ending life. He's talking about a quality of life. 
abundant life. Not just a quantity, but a quality of life. It's both in the book of John. That's what we're offered is life. The life that God has had in himself forever. The life and the perfect love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The community of God from before the beginning. John says the word has come to offer you that life. To join into that kind of existence. He doesn't offer you another, let me put it another way. Doesn't God, Jesus is not offering you a, a, a buffet. He's not offering you never-ending mediocre food. He doesn't offer you more of life that you already have. He offers you exquisite life, gourmet life, life unlike you've ever known. John is telling you that this word can take your life and wrap it up in God. He came to give you life and life abundant. And I've been thinking how to make that more concrete um, because I know that's still abstract and here's the best I could come up with. Okay, so think of uh, the best childhood Christmas memory that you have. And I know not all of us had happy childhood or happy Christmases, so this doesn't work for everybody. But uh, try, think of the wonder and the beauty and the joy of family and the opening of presents and the conversations, the old stories that you tell every year, the new stories you learn as you get older. There's a, there's a, when, you, when you lock it into your mind, it almost, you can, it's almost tangible, isn't it? It's like you can feel it. It's a, there's a quality to that time that's different. We don't just long for a time of year. We long for a, a kind of time. That's what Christmas can do at its best. There's nothing like it. It can do that. John, John's point here is that the, the life God invites you to in his word is infinitely better than that memory that you have. That's a shadow of the life to come where every day is, is wonder and awe and lights and beauty, where every moment is a surprise and a gift, where the stories do not end, where every chapter is better than the one that came before, that kind of life, that kind of life that most of us, if we're honest, spend the year convincing ourselves is not real, not because it's too hard to believe, but because it's too good to believe. And we couldn't stand it if it weren't true. John says, it is true. That kind of life can be yours. So how do we get it? Uh, I want to give you just a few thoughts. Um, and these will apply, most of them, for the whole series, this whole Advent series, if you're here with us. Um, and, and you may not be ready for any of these, so I, I, that's okay. I just want you to think, take these with you, ponder them this week. Okay. So the first thing I want us to do to receive this life is to take, first is take the word seriously. Take it seriously. And, and we need to say this to ourselves, whether you're here and you, you're a Christian or you're not, we need to say this to ourselves every year, okay? If, if everything we've said so far, if everything John claims about Jesus so far is true, and Jesus is not just a baby born in a manger, but is the Word of God from eternity past come into our world to save it, then we have to take this seriously. Christmas is a beautiful time. It's also in the delusional time. It's a time where we say we like Jesus for a couple weeks and then we say goodbye to him and we come back at Easter. Okay. If, if you don't do that to the author of all things, that's a mistake. 
Either Jesus is who he says he is and who John says he is, and his words to you and his lordship over you are the most important thing about you, or he is a liar to be ignored, and even your presence here now is probably a waste of your time, okay? It's that stark. Christmas sometimes make us think, it makes us think there's this middle ground where I can like Jesus but not really be a part of what he's doing. You can't do that. You have to take it seriously. You have to choose the word. When Jesus enters the world, when the word comes, it is, on the one hand, an invitation to life. It is also a confrontation. You have to make a decision. You have to choose. You're either with him with everything you have, or you have nothing to do with him. So take this seriously. Take it seriously. Second, put yourself in the way of the word. Put yourself in the way. Uh, Cheryl Strayed, uh, she wrote the book Wild, and there was a movie made after. She, she quotes her mom in the book. Uh, it's probably the most famous line of the book. Here, here it is. This, is. this will help you understand what I'm getting at. There's always a sunrise and always a sunset, and it's up to you to choose to be there for it. So put yourself in the way of beauty. Okay, so the, the word has come, and he's speaking. So put yourself in his way. The sunrise and sunset, for example, if he is the creator, then he speaks to us through his creation. So if you want to encounter him, go, go, go for a walk in the woods, climb a mountain, pay attention to the miracle of the everyday around you, how quickly we lose that. Uh, even um, Calvin and Hobbes, that, that profound cartoon, they get it. It's, you can't read it, so I will. It says, look at all the stars. The universe just goes out forever and ever. It kind of makes you wonder why man considers himself such a big deal. That's why we stay inside with our appliances. See that last one? <laughs> it's, kind of, it's funny, but kind of not funny. right? If he made it and it's good, if you want to encounter him, look around in your life. Pay attention, but don't stop there. Okay? If, you, if you want to hear from him, read his book that he's given to you, the Bible. Read it. Study it. Understand it. Pray to him. Start a conversation with him if you haven't done that before. Show up here on Sundays and get to know other people who are listening alongside of you. Okay, put yourself in his way. This is the time to do that. And finally, last thought is um, eat the word. I know it sounds weird. Eat the word. In John 8, uh, just a few chapters from here, John or Jesus says this to anyone who would follow him. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, we're about to take communion together at the end of this sermon. And the reason we practice this regularly, is, it's not because we, we think this is literally Jesus' body and blood. But it's because we have to eat. The, this is a way, this is a practice that makes Christmas real. Because unless you internalize Jesus' life and death on the cross, until you believe not only that Jesus saves, but that he saves you, you, unless that knowledge sustains you and nourishes you, then the, then the word has no power for you. You have to pick it up and eat it. You have to put the blood, as it were, on your own lips and drink it to receive life. When we participate in communion, we're reminding ourselves that we're in God's story because of Jesus. He's, his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. We pick it up and we carry it with us. We have to consume it 
we have to let it define us, become a part of us. It, not unlike when we eat the elements of food and they become, uh, they become ourselves. They feed our muscles. They give us life. Not unlike that. And only you, only you can accept that invitation. Only you can pick up and eat this word. No one can do it for you. You must do it. And when you do it, it nourishes you. It nourishes you. Because every time we eat and drink, we remember the God of the universe, the word from before time, he was in the beginning. He became spiritual food for you. You have to eat the word. And before, and before we do, maybe you're listening, you're here, and, and you're, you're still skeptical. That's okay. Like I said, maybe you're not ready for any of those. That's okay. You're here and you're like, I don't know if I buy this, who Jesus claims to be, who John claims him to be. That's fine. Uh, John wasn't uh, too sure when he started either. He was skeptical. He was a good Jewish boy. If you told him God is revealing himself in, in Jesus of Nazareth, he'd... he'd that would have been very, his worldview did not prepare him to accept that. But then John spent three years of his life with Jesus. They traveled together, they ate together, they lived together, they were friends. They were friends. What would it take for you to write a book like this about one of your friends? Do you even know anybody close to that? But what's, John saw it. He saw the word. He met the word. He saw that God wrote himself into the story of humanity and not in power or privilege. He could have done that. He didn't. But in a poor Jewish child in a nowhere province. And he saw that that word grew up to be an innocent man hanging on a cross for our sins. And John saw the one who made the trees hanging on one. And he saw that despite all of that, the grave could not hold him. He saw it. This is John's claim. I saw it. No wonder he believed. No wonder he wants us to believe. And Christmas can make believers of us all if we let it. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to receive communion together, I prepare our hearts. Give us joy. For those who know you, joy that this gift that you've given, represented by bread and juice, frees us from our sin and can give us the kind of power in life, the kind of abundant life you promise. So God, as we come together, bless our time, bless this family. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.